What's up, Tiaholics? Welcome back to the Tea on Crime. It's your host, Britt. And I'm the co-host, Jessica, wife and true crime skeptic. Just as a reminder before we get started, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply our own and are only presented to educate. We've linked the case sources in the episode notes below. Hold on real quick, you guys. We're jumping into an ad. This week, I'm telling you the case of Tupac and Biggie, and this is episode 22. This is one of the world's most confusing cases because it remains unsolved to this day, or does it? Today, I'm going to take you on a journey with me while we unravel the crazy details behind both of these legendary artists and what the hell could have really happened. Even though their cases might not go hand in hand, I believe they actually might, and when you think of one artist, you tend to think of the other. This is such a big moment in hip-hop music industry. Are you ready? Yes. Let's start with Tupac. He was born on June 16th, 1971 in East Harlem, New York. Both of his parents were active members of the Black Panthers in the late 60s and early 70s. Oh, I did not know that. Yes. I love the Black Panthers. Tupac didn't know who exactly his father was for most of his life. His mother would tell him that his father was dead, but he actually was not. Tupac had a very rough life growing up. His mother was addicted to drugs and struggling to get by. As a child, he often spent times in and out of shelters and didn't have a great relationship with his mother. They would go back and forth of being on speaking terms with one another, but Tupac was always very loyal to his mother and even wrote songs about her, one of which being his well-known song, Dear Mama, which would end up later being his lead single on the album, Me Against the World, which would debut in 1995. In 1986, Tupac and his family would move from New York to Baltimore, and after completing two years in high school, he would eventually transfer to the Baltimore School of Arts. He was a great student there. He studied acting, jazz, poetry, and ballet during his time there. In 1988, Tupac and his family would once again move, this time from Baltimore to California. He finished high school while living in California and was heavily involved in the drama department. Tupac attempted to get his rap career started while living in Baltimore and was using the name MC New York. Once he arrived to California, he decided he was going to use the name Tupac. He first started to record his music in 1987, but it did not take off until 1991 when he would record under the record label Digital Underground Interscope Records in the January 1991 single Same Song. The song was featured on the soundtrack of the 91 film Nothing But Trouble. Have you seen that? Uh, No, I have not. I have not either. It starred Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, Chevy Chase, and Demi Moore. Oh, it's what a pretty a big lineup. Yeah, yeah, it's a very big lineup. In 1995, Tupac became one of the founders in a group known as the Outlaws, which were an American hip-hop group in late 1995. Let's switch it up and talk about Christopher Wallace, also known as Biggie Smalls. He was born May 21st, 1972 in Brooklyn, New York. Christopher was the only child of his parents and his father left when he was just two years old. Christopher's mother worked two jobs just to make ends meet. His childhood was not a walk in the park, but in most of his songs, he would make his childhood out to be worse than it actually was. In one of his songs, Juicy, he says the line, thinking back on my one room shack which was actually his alter ego, 
and an exaggeration of how poor he claimed to be. His mother would later go on to be quoted in a report stating that Christopher enjoyed having the alter ego and was one to go from the rag to riches look. He wasn't rich growing up, but don't get me wrong, he was not as poor as he made himself seem. Biggie was very close to his mother and had that in common with Tupac. Biggie, like Tupac, also grew up in a rough neighborhood and started dealing drugs when he was 12. Biggie started rapping on the streets when he was a teenager and really enjoyed entertaining anyone that would walk by. He was very talented. Biggie dropped out of school at age 17 and got more involved in the world of crime. In 1989, he was arrested on a weapons charge and was sentenced to five years probation. In 1990, he was arrested once again, this time for a violation of his probation. A year later, in 1991, he was arrested one more time, but this time it was for dealing crack cocaine and he spent nine months in jail before he was able to make bill. After he was released from jail, Biggie released his first demo tape and called it Biggie Smalls. It was reported that he had no intention of this tape ever becoming something serious, and it was more of something that was just done for fun. But the tape was picked up by a promoter named Mr. C, and was heard by a few major recording labels, and was even heard by Sean Puffy Combs, aka P. Diddy. Diddy arranged a meeting with Biggie right away, and he was signed to Uptown Records almost immediately. So that's Uptown Records is P. Diddy's label? Yes. Is that one that he created? I believe so. Okay. Almost right away after signing Christopher Wallace, aka Biggie Smalls, P. Diddy ended up getting fired from Uptown Records, and that was when he decided to start Bad Boy Records. Okay, so he did not start Uptown Records. Got it. He started Bad Boy Records. Yes, thank you. Okay. Biggie gained huge exposure when he was featured on the Mary J. Lige's single, Real Love, which peaked at number one in late 1995, followed by Biggie's hit single, Love and Bullshit. So how did these two men that are currently making it big in hip-hop, one from East Coast and one from West Coast, both end up dead? There was a point that Biggie and Tupac were friends, so how did we get here? Why does it matter which side you're on? Biggie was an East Coast rapper signed to Bad Boy Records with Diddy, and Tupac was a West Coast rapper signed to Death Row Records with Suge Knight. There were plenty of times that Tupac would open shows for Biggie or vice versa, and they seemed to have each other's back, but there might have been some beef. Between them? Yes. Oh. Okay, even though they were friends? They were friends, but it seemed like the East Coast and West Coast beef kind of took over that situation. Okay. On November 30th, 1994, Tupac was beaten and shot during a robbery at a recording studio in New York. Sean Combs and Biggie were also in the same building at the time that the robbery took place. Since they were both unharmed, Tupac believed that he was set up and the two men were in on it. He accused Biggie in public of being involved in the robbery and set it up against him. There were rumors that it had nothing to do with the artists involved and it was solely due to the record labels having issues with each other. The record labels being Bad Boy Records, and Death Row Records, there was an award show that took place where Suge Knight is making a speech and states, if you want a producer that doesn't want to be involved in your music videos and take over your songs, aka Diddy, come on over to Death Row Records instead. As you can imagine, this did not go over well with the audience. So Suge Knight and P. Diddy were essentially the ones that were beefing, I guess, so to speak? Yeah, working for both the record labels, yes. Okay, and then Tupac and Biggie... I've only heard one Biggie song, and I'm not gonna lie, I don't think I've ever listened to Tupac. I know people are crazy over these two artists, and even P. Diddy, but I have never really listened to their music, or my, I don't know anything about them. <laughs> You're about to learn. Which is sad, because I love rap, but I wasn't, I was like five. <laughs> They're iconic. 
Shortly after the awards show incident, Biggie had a single that was released with his well-known album, Big Papa. That's the only song I know. (laughs) That was titled, Who Shot Ya? Tupac believed that this single was released based on the fact that he had been shot at the recording studio. Both Biggie and P. Diddy denied that it had anything to do with the situation and claimed the song was recorded long before the robbery took place. That is kind of a coincidental. That it came out around the same time. Yeah. (laughs) And that's, isn't that usually how the, I don't know, the, the dig start with artists? I think so. It's always in the music. Yeah. In November 1993, while all of this drama is still taking place, Tupac, who was still recovering from being shot, is required to appear in court for a case in which he was being accused of sexual assault. Oh. A fan had reported to police that she had been with Tupac in a New York hotel room when several of his friends came in and the group, led by Tupac, forced her to perform oral sex on each of them. Tupac was sentenced to prison. So he was found guilty? He was. Oh. Tupac had served nine months into his sentence and was released on a $1.4 million bail, which was put up by Death Row Records CEO Suge Knight. This is how Tupac ends up being involved with Suge Knight and being signed onto Death Row Records in the first place. Suge Knight is currently serving a 28-year sentence for manslaughter. Suge ran over and killed a Compton businessman and fled the scene. Wow. Okay. Suge and Tupac made a deal while Tupac was in prison in order for him to be released on bail. Tupac would need to do three singles for Death Row Records. Tupac wanted to continue his ongoing beef with Biggie and soon released his song, Hit Em Up which is still known as one of the biggest diss songs in music history. In the song, Tupac raps about sleeping with Biggie's wife and mentioning killing members of Bad Boy Records. The feud at this point was boiling. Oh. In July of 1996, a group of Crip members run into some Blood members at a mall. Now I want you to know that Suge Knight was heavily associated with the Bloods. Certain members of the Bloods were gifted Death Row Records medallions by Suge. At the time, it's rumored that P. Diddy was offering $5,000 for anyone that could take and provide him with one of the Death Row Records medallions. Oh, interesting. Okay. Let's finally get into the day of Tupac's death. Now that I've got you up to speed on some of the history behind these men, It was September 7th, 1996, and Tupac and Suge Knight were at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas watching Mike Tyson fight. When the fight was finished, Tupac and Suge were walking through the lobby when they spotted a group of Crips. It's reported that a huge fist fight takes place, and Tupac is reported as acting hyped up after this fight, and a huge crowd starts to follow him out of the casino. I feel like anyone would be hyped up after a fight, though, so... So Bloods are the people that wear red and Crips are the blue, right? Yes. Okay. Tupac and Suge Knight head to a local club in Las Vegas that Suge owned. Tupac was scheduled to perform, and while they were on their way, Suge gets pulled over for playing his music too loudly. Pulled over on the side of the road, a group of fangirls sees Suge and Tupac in the car being pulled over and they jump into a cab behind the men. Once the cop is finished pulling them over, the girls pull up directly behind the car with Suge and Tupac at the intersection. Next thing you know, a white SUV pulls up right behind the car that the girls are in. So Tupac and Suge are in the middle lane, the group of fangirls are to the right, and now we have a random white SUV that has pulled up right behind the girls as well. So the girls are in the right lane trying to make a right-hand turn. The white SUV is directly behind the girls, and Tupac has his window rolled down. All of a sudden, a man that is in the back seat of the white SUV rolls down his window and starts shooting. A total of nine bullets hit the car, and four of those bullets hit Tupac's body. Twice in the chest, once in the thigh, and once in his arm. 
One of Tupac's bodyguards was in a different car, jumps out of the car to immediately go and help Tupac, but Suge Knight immediately pulls a U-turn and takes off from the intersection with Tupac in the car with him. There was no way his bodyguard could get to him. When Suge was attempting to make his U-turn, he hit the median and took out a few of his tires, which forced him to have to stop. The white SUV with the shooter in it drove away and Tupac was taken to the hospital. He was placed into a medically induced coma. Suge was mildly injured from bullet fragments. Tupac was in the medically induced coma for almost a week. On September 13th, 1996, Tupac passed away at the age of 25. Oh wow, he was really young. He was very young. Tupac's body was cremated the next day under the direction of Suge Knight. Interesting. He never had a proper burial with the public or anything that his fans could be a part of. Uh, huh. Okay. So keep that in mind. It was Suge Knight's decision. It wasn't, was Suge Knight his power of attorney? Nope, he was just making the choices because he was rich. Oh, okay. (laughs) Tupac's ashes were allegedly mixed with some weed and smoked by members of the outlaws, but this has never been accurately confirmed. Okay. Shortly after Tupac died, Suge was arrested and sentenced to five years in prison for being in a fight that night, which violated his parole. As in, when you say a fight that night... The night of the accident, but I'm not sure who he was in a fight with. Okay. But he was sentenced to prison. Okay. There was an interview done when Biggie is asked how he was dealing with Tupac's death, and he tells reporters that he would never wish death upon anyone, even though they were going through their drama. He felt for his mom and his family, but you have to keep moving on in life. Biggie said that everywhere he was going, he was hearing Tupac and he was feeling them. Not long after Tupac's death, Biggie and his group went back to California to record an album. Biggie was feeling secure headed back to California, although he was in an area that he acknowledged was not his turf, but with Suge in prison and Tupac being gone, Biggie wasn't too worried about not having his security team with him in California at the time. However, this was a false sense of security. So Biggie didn't, I just want to make sure I understand, Biggie didn't feel safe to go into California because that's where the, they were bloods right suge was a blood yes okay so in that population that he was going to perform or in that area was a heavily populated blood whatever i assume so since he said it wasn't his turf i assume that's what that reference means okay and he was not going back to california with all of his security team at the time but he was stating with tupac being dead and suge being in prison he felt comfortable i would think that that would just heighten things yeah but okay (laughs) On March 8th, 1997, Biggie was talking on the phone with his mom. His mom was telling Biggie during this phone call that she was becoming really worried about him not having his full security team with him in LA. Biggie was reassuring her that he had the LA police protecting him. Later that night, Biggie and P. Diddy go to a party in LA at the Peterson Auto Museum, and around 11 p.m., cops were called to this party because it was getting too loud. It's been reported that this party got way too loud and way too crazy way too fast. There were apparently more people than the party had anticipated there would be, and there were so many people outside that were just waiting to go inside. The security inside was reported to be really shitty. There were 10 security guards hired for the event, and they were extremely outnumbered. Okay, I don't like how this is getting set up, but all right. (laughs) On top of the cops being called for the party being too loud, there were additional phone calls being placed to police that were reported gunshots being fired at the party, and different callers all stated that they had also witnessed a black Ford Bronco quickly trying to leave the area. Somehow, police were able to figure out that the black Ford Bronco was a plan to kill Biggie, but it had failed. Oh. 
Biggie and P. Diddy decide that they want to leave the party, and while they are outside waiting for their cars to pick them up, one of P. Diddy's bodyguards spots a suspicious person wearing a blue suit. So did Biggie and P. Diddy know about this black Ford Bronco before leaving? Yes. Oh, okay, and then they just thought it was still a good idea to leave. Okay, got it. Yeah, they still had to get out of the party, so. (laughs) Great, okay. Biggie's car pulls up, he gets inside, and Biggie looks at one of his friends as he's telling them goodbye, and he says, we'll see you at the next party. These would become Biggie's famous last words. Okay. It's around 1245 at this time. P. Diddy and Biggie are driving down the road with their group. I want to tell you this important part, though. Diddy was in the passenger seat of a white SUV with a driver and three bodyguards. A white SUV? Yes. Was... Diddy in Las Vegas by chance a couple of months or so before? I believe he was. Oh, okay. Biggie was in a green SUV, but he had no security. He was in the backseat with some friends. So Diddy has a bodyguard and a driver and is full of security and Biggie has no one. So I just want to point that out. Why wouldn't you just send a couple of, if you're friends, right? Why wouldn't you just send, put like one or even two people in the car with your friend (laughs) who has no protection? All of a sudden, a white SUV pulls up, cuts off Diddy's security that was driving. Diddy's car runs through a yellow light at the Wilshire Boulevard as the signal was turning red, which left Biggie's car stopped at the intersection. In the middle of this chaos, a black Chevy Impala pulls up directly next to the car that Biggie is in, so the green SUV, and begins to fire shots right at Biggie's door. The shooter was described as being an African-American male using a semi-automatic pistol, and he was wearing a blue suit. He was also the only person inside the car. The man was reported to have looked Biggie directly into his eyes before emptying his gun into Biggie. Could this have been the same man that Diddy's security guard noticed prior to them all leaving the party? Okay, so I just want to make sure that I, I understand that was a lot of information at once. So P. Diddy is in the white SUV with his entire security team. Biggie is in the green SUV with friends sitting in the back. Yes. So is P. Diddy in the SUV in front of Biggie? Yes. Okay, then this random other white SUV pulls up alongside Diddy's SUV. Whatever happens, Diddy speeds forward going through the yellow light. Or was there a confrontation at all? Or did they just go through the light? So there was no confrontation. And the white SUV cut off the SUV that Diddy was in, which was also white. So after being cut off, Diddy's security guard that was driving decided to run the light as it was turning red, which in turn left Biggie's car stopped at the intersection. Okay, so you've got two white SUVs, one's P. Diddy, one's this random SUV, and they're driving alongside of each other. The random SUV cuts Diddy off and gets in front of them. Yes. Okay. And then instead of just stopping P. Diddy's SUV continues to follow forward. Yes. Okay. And then the re- the light goes red, last second I'm assuming, and then Biggie stops. And then a black Chevy Impala pulls up next to Biggie's green SUV and starts shooting at Biggie. Yes. Okay. So he would be shooting 
shooting at the back passenger seat, right side? Is that what yes. you're saying? Okay. Yes. And he was wearing a blue suit, which is who P. Diddy's security had stated they had seen in the black Ford Bronco. They had just noticed a suspicious person at the party. I don't think it was the person that was driving the Bronco. Just wearing a blue suit? Wearing a blue suit. And for some reason, that caught P. Diddy's security guard's eye, and he thought that it was suspicious, but I don't think that's related to the black SUV that was there. Were they all wearing black this night, or? No, I'm not sure why the blue suit just caught his attention, but it did. He said he looked suspicious. And Biggie was not associated with Crips and or Bloods. No. Do we know if P. Diddy was associated with Crips and or Bloods? I do not know that. Because I I think that the only reason why somebody would spot a blue suit being semi-suspicious, if you're a Blood, you're going to notice blue. Right. Okay. Right. Possibly. But that has nothing to do with anything. Nope. Okay. Got it. And the guy that shot Biggie, like I said earlier, was the only one in the car. So he was alone. Okay. So after the shots were fired, the Impala turned right and the group lost them. Diddy's car comes to a stop after hearing the gunshots and Diddy jumps out of the car, runs across Wilshire Boulevard and opens the backseat door where Biggie was hunched over, bleeding through his jacket. Diddy jumps into the back of the SUV that Biggie is in, calls one of his drivers to drive them straight to the hospital, which was less than five minutes away. It took the hospital staff six people to lift Biggie onto a gurney at the hospital. Doctors performed an emergency surgery. The surgery was unsuccessful, and Biggie was pronounced dead at 1.15 a.m. on March 9th, 1997, at 24 years old. So both of them were so young. They were both very young. And remember, Tupac died on September 13th, 1996. So both are fairly close to each other in these dates, roughly six months between their deaths, right? Okay. A week after Biggie died, he was nominated for three Grammys on his album, Life After Death, which is such an ironic title. Yes. In 2002, the New York Times published an article that was called Who Killed Tupac? And it was reported that in the article, the shooting was carried out by a Compton gang member from the Southside Crips. The Las Vegas police interviewed two men from this gang, only one time each. So two men, they only got interviewed once, and then basically they just moved on. And they were Crips, Crips or Blue. Got it. One of them was in prison while being interviewed, and this gang member told investigators that Suge Knight had hired them to kill Tupac. Police monitored his phone calls while he was in prison, as well as any incoming and outgoing mail. This is when police discovered that it was all a lie, and this man was planning an elaborate story with his cousin, hoping that if he provided the information police wanted, he could be moved out of the prison and into a county jail closer to his family. Okay, makes sense. (laughs) There are also people that believe that the FBI had Tupac killed. Interesting. People believe that the FBI were trying to get rid of the violence that was happening between the East Coast and the West Coast, which is what we discussed in the case earlier. I feel like by having Tupac killed, though, and now Biggie, right? It's just having one of them killed in general is just going to escalate both sides. Yes, that's Um, what I think. Is this going to be a really big conspiracy thing? I feel like we're going down that avenue. I told you it would be a journey, so yes. Okay, (laughs) there's going to be, I feel like there's a lot of holes in a lot of this story already, so. Okay, cool. So what about who killed Biggie? In the beginning of the case behind Christopher Wallace's death, he had a lead investigator named Stephen, who ended up making some very big mistakes in the beginning, and the case had to be reassigned to a man named Russell Poole. Why does that sound so familiar? 
Making mistakes, very common. <laughs> no, the, the name Russell Poole. That name sounds very familiar. I don't know. I'm gonna have to look into it. Russell basically came up with a theory that a few corrupt LA police officers were involved and working for Death Row Records and being on payroll for Death Row Records. Interesting. And weren't the LA police the people that Biggie had stated were supposed to be protecting him? Yes. Okay. Which, Plot if you remember, <laughs> when Biggie was on the phone with his mother the afternoon he died, he had mentioned to his mom that he felt safe in LA mm -hmm. because even though he did not have his full security team, he did have LA police officers that were looking out for him. Death Row Records was known for drug trafficking, and Russell was able to put all the details together and had proof that Suge Knight was actually hiring police officers to work with Death Row Records. Russell believed that two specific LA police officers were involved with the death of Biggie Smalls. We'll come back to that theory in a minute. Okay. It's earlier, <laughs> earlier, I told you that the first lead investigator, Stephen, had made some mistakes, mm -hmm. which ended up causing the case to be reassigned. Stephen, in the beginning, Beginning, never had any kind of testing or fingerprinting done on any of the cars. He also did not interview the two LA police officers that were suspects of interest, and he forgot to transfer over 200 pages of documents regarding the case to the new investigator when Russell Poole took over the case. You just forgot to transfer 200, over 200 pages? <laughs> That's quite something to forget. Did he ever get the 200 pages? I'm not sure. I think he came up with his own notes. Oh. Russell went through the police department and shared his theory about corrupt police officers I'm being involved in the case. Sure, that went over real well. And Russell yes. was very popular <laughs> afterwards. His supervisor shut him down instantly, <laughs> telling Russell, we're not going to go that way with this case. Not long after this, Russell, to no surprise, was kicked off the case for suggesting that any LA police officers were involved. Years would pass without any new information regarding Biggie's murder. In 2006, a task force was created to attempt to solve the case. Like a task force that they just picked different people from different departments? Yes, and they were just assigned specifically to this case. They didn't work on anything else. For just Biggie's or Biggie and Tupac? For just Biggie's. Okay. There were 92 binders full of case files and notes that Russell Poole had left from the initial investigation. The FBI still stands behind their statement that the LA police were not involved. Well, of course they do. When it comes to Biggie, several people have been accused of his murder, but no arrests were ever made. When it comes to Tupac, several people have been accused of his murder, but again, no arrests were ever made there either. Okay, so they are both currently still standing as unsolved. Yes. Okay. We're just getting started here, though. I told you this case is going to be a big one. Uh -huh. These cases both involve many different ideas of what really happened with Tupac and Biggie Smalls. And I can't wait to tell you about all of them when you tune in next week what? for the second... <laughs> Oh my god. When you tune in next week for the second part of this bizarre story. I hate it when you do this. <laughs> but before we leave, do you want to hear some tea? No. <laughs> Never. No. Now I'm super <laughs> irritated. So this is going to be another part two? Yes, it is. Okay. Well, you know what my favorite thing is about when you do part twos, even though I don't like waiting? 
you come back with all the notes. Yeah, I'm going to go do my own <laughs> research now because I'm I'm very curious, especially not knowing too much about either of these artists. The only thing that I honestly know about them is that they sparked a lot of revolution amongst people, amongst their community, in the rap scene. They were known, at, or they are still known as being very legendary icons. And I've always wondered why. Why are they so great? Right. But I mean, I do love rap music and I appreciate the artistry. So right. I guess it's about time that I listen to their music. <laughs> All right. So next week you'll come back a little more educated on their songs, huh? Yeah, maybe I'll rap. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. A Target in Augustus, Georgia, agreed to take back a printer from oh. a dissatisfied customer. Are you doing your tea? Yes. Okay. Sorry, I wasn't paying attention because I was too focused on you springing that we're doing a part two. So I'm sorry. Could you start over? I was not ready for you. Yes. I'm ready now. Are you ready? Okay, so it's time to hear tea. Got it. A Target in Augusta, Georgia, agreed to take back a printer from a dissatisfied customer. Then the clerk noticed some work the customer forgot to remove from the machine. Counterfeit bills. Oh my god. It's pretty great, huh? When people think that, why would you? When you commit a crime and leave your crime in the printer. People are so dumb. I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense to me. All right. Well, thank you for sharing your tea. Are you ready for my jokes? I'm ready. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you two of them. Oh, all right. I know. You're so lucky. And by you, I mean all of you. Everyone else. Yes. All (laughs) of you. She gets my humor like this all the time. And it's not very appreciated. (laughs) where do pirates get their hooks where secondhand stores (laughs) that one's pretty good it is great right what is the difference between a well-dressed man on a unicycle and a poorly dressed man on a bicycle Ooh, i don't know what a tire (laughs) a tire Mm -hmm. like the tire right because unicycle bicycle as well as clothing because well-dressed, poorly dressed. That's pretty great too. Before we end this episode, we wanted to announce that our podcast, The Tea on Crime, has now joined Patreon. For those of you that aren't familiar with what that is, it is a monthly subscription page platform that will be ad-free with bonus episodes that are exclusive only to our Patreon listeners. So head on over to our page at patreon.com slash crime to hear more tea being spilled. We're really excited to provide you with bonus content. And then as always, everybody, we really appreciate your support. That's it for today's episode. For all of our teaaholics that enjoyed our show today, please remember to go and rate the show on whatever platform you are listening to. Give us a follow on Facebook at Tea on Crime Podcast, Instagram at Tea on Crime Podcast, Twitter at Tea on Crime Pod, and TikTok at Tea on Crime Podcast. I'm your host, Britt. And I'm your co-host, Jessica. And we will be back next week to serve you more tea on all things true crime. Bye!